This morning I would like to uh, continue on the theme that I've been speaking on to you uh, involving Second Peter and also Romans, the first chapter, and possibly Psalm 2. But the thing that I am uh, mostly, and I will use Scripture in different portions as I go along, the thing that I am uh, mostly trying to make you conscious of is the fact that there is a coming judgment that none can escape. Now, when I say that, I'm speaking of two areas of judgment, of course. I'm speaking of that judgment which shall <clears throat> be for the church, which is at the judgment seat of Christ, in which we shall answer for the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or bad. This is spoken to us in the Corinthian epistle. And uh, this is a judgment that no Christian can escape. In other words, uh, I think Steve Rowland's words that I used to hear so often from him, what we weave here we shall wear there, are well said. And uh, so as born-again Christians, those who really love Christ as their personal Savior, there is a judgment to come at the judgment seat of Christ for all of us. It's not just a matter of being saved and then everything else rides smooth and God has no judgments upon his own. Yes, he does. It won't take you out of heaven because salvation is by grace through faith. So it won't take you out of heaven. You're still a son of God. But there will be a judgment seat of Christ. And uh, I believe personally that at that judgment seat of Christ, if I read a lot, a right, that for the last time the Christian may shed tears because in heaven itself there are no tears, no sorrow, no crying, for the former things are passed away and all things have become new. But I believe that at the judgment seat of Christ there can be tears over our lives having been so poorly lived for the Savior. The other judgment, of course, is the judgment at the great white throne of God. This is the ultimate final judgment for all who are lost, those who have not been redeemed in the blood of Christ. It's a judgment that is a terrible thing to even conceive of, to be cast into the lake of fire, as Revelation tells us, Jesus speaks, and then to never see him again. The thought of that is so horrifying to my own heart, I don't know how it would touch yours, but the thought of not seeing Christ ever again, that would be enough to drive me to the cross of Jesus. And so these judgments are coming, and we divide the word of God, as we have been told, rightly dividing the word of truth into the two areas. The number one, that the second coming of Christ is a great comfort to the Christian who really loves him, for he's going to see his Savior face to face. And though he may suffer loss at the judgment seat of Christ, we praise God that we'll still be with Christ. Just as we as fathers and mothers may have disobedient sons and daughters, even so God has disobedient sons and daughters. And we're amongst them, you see. None of us are perfect. And so that relationship that we have to our own children 
in disobediences that they may have is to make us conscious of the fact that we can be, be very disobedient to our own Father in heaven and somehow not see the relationship of the two together. Then, thinking of the one area that will be a comfort to us, of course the other area is tragedy for those who are outside of Christ. The comfort to our hearts comes from many of the, of the scriptures. We would think of 1 Thessalonians 4, as I said last week. John 14, I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus says, and if I go, I will come again and receive you to myself. 1 Corinthians tells us about receiving that glorified body fashioned like unto his glorious body, this corruptible putting on incorruption. Philippians, Ephesians, you can look into the epistles and you find great areas of comfort for us. But basically, in the scriptures that we have reference to, 2 Peter, where it speaks about his second coming and some people crying out, where is the promise of his coming? And uh, these people are within the church body, the church body organized. The world outside isn't interested in Christ's coming. They don't believe in Christ. How can they believe his coming? But in the church itself, there are those who say, where is the promise of his coming? For all things continue as they were from the beginning. And then it says, this they are willingly ignorant of. Notice that willingly ignorant of. That there was a judgment of God before to warn them that there'll be yet a judgment of God to come. And that judgment was the judgment of the flood. So don't ever say, he says, that everything runs the same from the beginning of creation. It has not. You've had my judgments before, and you know of them, and there's another judgment coming. And that judgment will be far beyond any judgment that has fallen upon the face of the earth. I taught you from Second Peter last week as to what that judgment was. I suggest to those of you who are not here that you read Second Peter and read the third chapter, the fourth and the fifth chapters if you want to know about the judgments of God. Now, there is then basically in man a desire not to think about judgment. This is very important. We're, we're a, a peculiar people, aren't we? Just, just think of yourself. Uh, well, let, let me term it this way. Uh, about two or three years ago, I brought a message on uh, a term that has become common now in psychiatry. Uh, it's a term for human folly concerning ourselves. That term is called cognizant dissidence. Now, cognizant dissidence means blocking out the mind to truth, any truth that hurts. Cognizant dissidence. Any truth that hurts you block out of your mind. You get rid of it by blocking it out. Now this is what men do concerning the coming judgments of God. They say, well, where's the promise of his coming? All things go on as they were from the beginning. And then Peter goes on to tell them of the coming fiery judgment that's coming upon this whole world, ultimately, finally, and completely and that heaven and earth are going to pass away with a great noise and the elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. 
In Revelation, it tells us that before the face of Christ, heaven and earth fled away, and there was found no place for them. And then a new heavens and a new earth came forth, in which dwelleth righteousness. And so, there is a cognizant dissidence in people's hearts about judgment. They don't like to think of it. I'm not going to, I'm going to just mention this quickly. In Romans 1, it's the same thing. Here again, it speaks about men in their vain imaginations. Vain imaginations. Let me just quickly read it to you so that you know what I mean. 21st verse. Because that men, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful. But they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the incorruptible, uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And they changed the truth of God into a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who was blessed forever. Amen. Now, I'm not going to have a long commentary on that for the rest of that portion if you want to read it has to do with the sexual mores of that day which are exactly the same as the sexual mores of this day only today it is undoubtedly much worse than it was back then you can read it all in there i don't want to have a long commentary on it if you're old enough to understand it you can read it and if you read it and don't understand it you're too young all right but you can read it it's all there for you so it has to do with all of the impurities. It has to do with all of the homosexuality. It has to do, you'd think this was something brand new, wouldn't you, in this world. You'd think that it never happened before. Here it's spoken of by God in his word to make it very clear. And men were vain in their imaginations. They had an idea that they could escape the judgment of God. That's the whole principle. See in the second chapter, first verse. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another person, thou dost condemn thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Now, let me say, if we didn't have forgiveness of sins, none of us would be able to stand before God because Paul says in his epistle, and such were some of you. But now are ye washed, now are ye clean because you've been cleansed in the blood of Christ. And so as we look out at any congregation, and I mention these things undoubtedly in any congregation this large, practically every sin mentioned has in some life been committed. And yet the great forgiveness of God is available to us. But men have cognizant dissidents. They don't want to face this at all. They don't want to face the fact that they made corruptible man into a god. That's what it says. They took a man and made him like a god or a beast or a crawling thing or a snake. They, did, they made them into gods. And their vain imaginations, that's all, 
blocking out the truth, says when you knew God, you knew he existed, you did not worship him as God. You denied it. And Paul puts in another place, you can look at the stars and the skies and the trees and everything around you. And this should be a witness to you in creation that someone bigger than you had to make it. And that one is God and him you have to face. Then there are vain imaginations mentioned in Psalm 2, if I could mention that just quickly. And then I want to go to some of the vain imaginations that we face today. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine what? A vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. In other words, we're going to break loose from God. Let us break loose. Let us get rid of this whole relationship we have to God. Let us break their bands asunder. There's a theology today which is trying to do this, is breaking loose from God and putting up a theology which is all to do with man and what man is going to do for this earth and how man is going to bring about a society that shall be perfect upon this earth. This is a theology which is prevalent at the present time. The World Council of Churches in their own booklets have put out that the great purpose of the church now is to join together the Roman, the Protestants, and the Jews, and the Marxists. It's most clear. They're going to join all together. And beloved, I have the article right here to establish and to bring forth a world society where peace shall reign by men. And their training schools, and there are 20 of them at the present time, which they mention, their training schools are going to train men under this new theology, which invites the Marxists and all of the others into the theologi theological centers, and they will be taught how to go forth and then the so-called Christian minister will go to his church and it says, and the Marxist will go back to his people using exactly the same methods of presenting their messages for a world order governed by man. Now, this is far from our God, isn't it? There will never be a world order governed by man which will have peace. And yet this is the vain imaginations of men. We will break away. We will cast away the bonds that join us to God. Notice that in the word there. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Notice what it says. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and he shall vex them in his sore displeasure, and say, Yet have I set my king upon my the holy hill of Zion, and you can do nothing about it. Oh, that's tremendous. He'll set his son, king of kings and lord of lords, upon the holy hill, and no one can do a thing about it. Now, these vain imaginations that men have, beloved, either as nations, as individuals, these vain imaginations are 
cognizant dissidents, willingly ignorant, block out everything that speaks of judgment. All is love, 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 and there's no judgment of God. And beloved, I dread saying this, but if I were to ask personally, honestly, for Christians who claim to be born again to write the truth down concerning what they believe about the judgments of God and about hell and heaven and everything else, you'd be amazed at all that would be said and that so many would say, I do not believe in hell, although Jesus spoke more about hell than he ever did about heaven. Vain imaginations come into our hearts. You know, in this cognizant dissidence, may I say it would be like this. Here you are. You can read all the ads. You can listen to television. You can see everything you see on cigarettes. So you block it out. Everything you see on cigarettes and cancer, you block it out. Say, okay, I'll block it out of my mind. I'm not going to, you know, I'll just leave it aside. Don't, don't even think about it. You don't like to think about these things. You'd like to block out through this cognizant dissidence, which is a psychiatric term, you'd like to block out, they say, death. You don't want to think about it. Never consider that you have to die. If anybody talks about it, get squirmish. Feel uncomfortable and then block it out. You don't want to think about it. Look, at, just think of us. You go to the doctor. You walk in, you don't feel well. So when you go into the doctor... You've already planned your attack. You're really not going to tell him the symptoms too clear. Lest he say that you're sicker than you are. You don't want him to know everything. And so you say, I haven't been feeling well. Maybe you're half dead. But you go into him and you say, I haven't been feeling well. Well, tell me the symptoms. Well, I get a headache now and then. And you've got a lot of other symptoms, but there are some that you know are pretty bad symptoms. And those symptoms you'd like the least to tell the doctor about. You don't want the doctor to know everything. The psychi psychiatrist says the same thing. His greatest problem, the psychiatrist said, is to get people to tell the truth. People come into the psychiatrist and lie about themselves. Or... They do one thing or the other. They're one extreme or the other. Either they don't tell them anything or they exaggerate and tell them too much so that the psychiatric field would have great problems. So this is the kind of a blocking out. We, we don't want to really face facts. After you leave the doctor's office and he's giving you some sugar-coated pills and you're walking out the door, you're thinking to yourself, I really didn't tell him everything. I wonder if these things are really going to help me. And this is the way we are so often. We don't want to do what we should do. Now, beloved, there are many vain imaginations, and I'm not going to prolong this morning because I just want to take a couple and talk to you about them because we're coming to the Lord's table. We have 27 people or so coming into the fellowship, and there'll be a general welcome for them. But there are vain imaginations which we have. And I hate to say it, Christians possess them too. Let me just 
tell you what I mean. Let's say there's a, a vain imagination like this that we have in our hearts, and you will well understand what I mean when I say this, I think. That vain imagination that nice folks like my neighbor next door who brings in soup when I'm sick and is very nice to my children, very loving, or even my kindly mom and dad who've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ at all can't possibly be lost. I hear Christians say this. They can't possibly be lost. Now, this is a cognizant dissonance. You're blocking your mind to the truth. You know better than this. You know that the word of God says, not by works of righteousness which you have done, but according to what? His what? Mercy he hath saved us. He that hath the Son hath life and shall not come into condemnation, but is already passed from what? Death unto life. But he that hath not the Son of God, what? The wrath of God abideth on him. And so we use cognizant dissidence and we block it out. How would it be possible? Listen, beloved, I have had mothers and fathers come to me whose sons and daughters are getting married, and when they tell me about the man, this young man or this young woman, they'll say to me, they're so nice. Well, I want to tell you, there are lots of people in the world who are nice. In fact, some of the people in the world are sometimes look even nicer than some Christians, I dread saying. They can look that way. But when we say something like that, when a person says something like that to me, and they're born-again Christian mother or father, I say to myself immediately, and I say openly, tell me, are they born again? And then the answer usually comes back, I'm not sure. Actually, what they're saying is, I'm pretty sure they're not. Because there's something about a redeemed soul that you can't hide. And as the scripture said this morning, the Spirit of God bears witness in our hearts that we are the sons of God because we have the Spirit of God. And our spirits bear witness with each other so that we know that we are the children of God. And so we try to block it out, try to keep it out, keep it away. Beloved, if you take that attitude that because someone is nice, because your neighbor is good, because of these things, that this is going to get them into the kingdom of heaven, oh, God deliver you from such a delusion. You're blocking your mind to the very truth of God. I don't care if it's your mother, your father, your son, your daughter, whoever it is. If I were you, I would be on my knees and I'd cry my eyes out before God, remembering that God says he loves us and he taketh our tears and he putteth them in a bottle to remember them when we've really been tearful in our pleadings with him for someone we love very dearly that they may find Christ the Savior. Never say they're so nice. My mother's so nice. My father's so nice. How tragic. 
And I say this with great love in my heart, great love in my heart. If you really believe that, then you are not saved yourself. May I say that again? If you really believe that, then you are not saved yourself. Because if nice people get into the kingdom of God, then isn't it a shame that Jesus died on a bloody cross? Hasn't God been a fool to send his, suffer, his son to suffer and bleed and die? And aren't the scriptures a complete lie that say the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin? What a vain imagination. Maybe the psychiatrist has a term, but oh, we use it so commonly. And I, that's the, the burden of my heart is that Christians do it too. They look at their loved ones, and I wish I could say it. When I go to funerals and when I preach the gospel there, oh, how I pray for those that I'm preaching to. The coffin stands behind me. If I haven't known the person, I can't tell whether they've been redeemed or not. But I preach the gospel to those who are before me. That they may come to know Christ as their personal Savior because this is a tremendous area where we can preach. Here is death in their presence and we can preach Christ and Him crucified, risen and coming again. And all of this is useless if by being good and nice and kindly you can get into the kingdom. It is not so. It is the devil's lie. Oh, may I remind you of that, Christian, if you really love Christ. Then I think, too, if I could say this, there are those who believe that I can't believe there's a hell. Oh, I can't believe it, they'll say. Hell is right here on earth. You know, you hear that, don't you? You talk to somebody about hell and you say, well, my hell is right here. My whole life has been that way. So hell is right here on earth. But beloved, I couldn't help but think of a recent, those of you, I think of Franz Moore here who was in the Blitz uh, and uh, was saved through one of the uh, English evangelist over in England and I couldn't help but think of a English evangelist during the London Blitz in the last world war and while he was preaching there was a bombing going on he was standing on the corner preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ you can imagine this takes you know this takes that real fervency that only the Holy Spirit gives a man to stand there where bombings are going on and there's this group standing around him and looking and waiting and they see the bombs in the distance in London bursting here and bursting there and one man looks up at him and he says to him, listen, preacher, this is hell right now, right here in London. Hell is right here on earth, he said. And then the preacher looked at him he thought for a moment, you know. He said, no. 
He says, you're greatly mistaken. And he says, here are the reasons why you are so mistaken. There is no hell on earth. Beloved, if this were true, then we would have to say that the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer, and there's no justice. Just think of that. The wicked prosper and the righteous suffer, and there's no ultimate justice. Here's what he said. There's no hell on earth because I am a born-again Christian and there are no Christians in hell. Number two, he says, there's a church standing on the corner and there's no churches in hell. He says, number three, I'm preaching the gospel of salvation and there'll be no preachers in hell who preach the salvation of Jesus Christ. Number four, there's a little baby over there with a mother and there are no babies in hell. Number five, it's raining rain tonight and there's no rain in hell. Number six, there's a graveyard with graves unopened and there are no graves that will be closed when Christ comes and there are no graves in hell. And number seven, I haven't seen Jesus yet and I'm going to see him face to face. So it is not occupied as yet and you can now come to Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Now, I don't know the end result. But, beloved, there are vain imaginations that this is hell on earth. But, oh, listen to me. This, beloved, is nothing. Here we have the glorious opportunity of coming to Christ, of finding Christ as our personal Savior, and coming to this table this morning and rejoicing in Jesus Christ and knowing that he belongs to us. And as we partake of the bread and the cup, we are saying but one thing. He died for me and I remember his death until he comes again. That's what the Lord's table says. You have no doubt about his coming. You don't care about the heathen raging and say, let us break the bonds of God from off our neck. You realize that men make other men their gods and their money and their wealth. But you say, I will not be cognizantly dissident in these things. I will not block out these things. I will see things as they are. And I will recognize that nice people who have no faith in Christ are just as lost, lost, lost as the most profligate sinner that ever walked the face of the earth. For Jesus says, he that offendeth in one tittle of the law is guilty of the whole law. And there's salvation in no other for there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved.
I don't know if you have a husband who's unsaved or a wife who's unsaved or sons and daughters who are unsaved, but beloved, if I were you, I would shed out. Don't you ever let those things block your mind because they're blood related to you doesn't mean they're related to you in glory even though you're saved. For Jesus says, flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But only those who are born of the Spirit and who have received the Holy Spirit into their breast and know him as personal Savior. Beloved, don't ever block out truth, please. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the what? Truth. I am the life. How many men come to the Father without Jesus? No man comes to the Father without me. Do you know him? Let us bow our heads in prayer. Father, may we not be blind. Lord, you've spoken about the blindness of men's hearts and how they have vain imaginations. And we see the prevalence of this in this world we're living in today. Vain imaginations about some new kind of morality, about some new mores for man to live by, new ideas about wedlock, new ideas, Lord, about all the things about which you have been so very clear and people are blocking their minds out. We see all the signs of your coming soon, Lord. If there's anyone here this morning that hasn't yet found Christ, oh, may they come to him. Lord, touch their hearts. Every eye closed, just a short invitation as we come to the table. If you want Christ in your heart this morning and you want to say, Pastor, pray for me, that's all I ask you, Pastor, pray for me. I want this Jesus as my very own. It's not a matter of being a Baptist or a Methodist or a Roman Catholic or anything else. It's a matter of my faith in Jesus. Just put your hand up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Yes, I see your hand. Praise the Lord. You can put it down. Praise God. Anyone else like to join this man who just raised his hand for Jesus Christ? Anywhere? Quickly put that hand up high. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray. Pray. Yes, I saw that hand. Lord, bless you. Anyone else? Just put it high. I'd like to join these. Pastor, pray for me. I want Christ in my heart as my Savior. I want to know that I have eternal life and that eternal life is only in Christ. I have no vain imaginations about nice people getting into heaven. I know that it's only by grace through faith that a man can be saved. And here's my hand. I want to be saved. Anybody quickly to join these two? Quickly say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. God has spoken to my heart. Doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are, here's the place to come. Quickly. Anywhere else. Just as I close. One moment, and then I close. Now, gracious Father, we thank thee for these who raise their hand for Jesus Christ and pray a special blessing upon them. May their hearts rejoice in the Savior. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.